Welcome to the fourth episode of the Real Estate Life Podcast, where we create a life of passive income through real estate and doing what we love. In this episode, we welcome Deron Rice. He's an architect, project manager, and real estate investor, now focusing on multifamilies. Today, we will discuss how much you should focus on design and product. Plus, we will give you some tips on designing your apartments. All this and much more up next. Real estate investing is changing, but there are people evolving and thriving. In this podcast, we'll listen to their stories and hopefully learn from them. I am dedicated to creating a life where I could create multiple passive income and doing something I love along the way. My name is Abio Ballesteros. I'm a real estate investor and entrepreneur. I want to help you live the real estate life. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Today we have on the show Doron Rice. He is a architect, project manager, and real estate investor. And now he is focusing in multifamilies. He is also my partner in 194 units in Columbus, Ohio. And I want to introduce Doron. How are you doing today? Hey, Abel, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, man. Thank you for, for being on it. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about this, this show because uh, uh, I, you have a very interesting uh, background. Um, in fact, you're, you're the only partner I've had with a background like this. And, uh, and I, I want to touch base on, on your history and how you got started in architecture design. And uh, if you could take it away and kind of lead us uh, how, how you got started and how you came to this country. Sure. So uh, I, uh, I was, I'm from Israel. I'm from Tel Aviv, Israel. I was raised over there, had great childhood, great life, um, studied architecture in Tel Aviv. Uh, as, as many young architects, uh, I dreamed about living uh, and, and, and working and studying in New York City. Uh, it's the mecca of uh, architecture, uh, at least modern architecture. And uh, after my third year in school, the king, you know, my dream came true. I, I did. Um, uh, I exchanged my my transfer my credits to uh, to uh, uh, the NYIT New York Institute of Technology in New York City. Uh, did my fourth fifth uh, year over there and my thesis in architecture and loved every minute. Really, and working with my heads up, you know, looking <laughs> at the tall buildings, and then, and then I was telling myself. You know, maybe one day, you know, my name will be on one of those uh, buildings or similar. Uh, finishing my, my thesis and my, I got my degree in architecture. Uh, started working in uh, New York City firms. Uh, climbed the ladder, worked in a, in a high-profile firm. Uh, and and um, over there, I worked on some, some, some amazing projects. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still uh, feeling myself very blessed to be part of this team. And the, the company um, uh, is called KPF, Quantipedis and Fox. And, and over there, uh, I was working on, uh, on some, some substantial projects. Uh, some of them are, are um, the uh, Lotte Tower in Korea and Lotte uh, Retail, which is uh, 120-something stories uh, in, in Seoul, the tallest building in, in Korea, the fifth tallest building in the world. Uh, now, Dora, I have to ask you. I mean, what is it like to to work in a hundred and twenty three story tower in Korea, which is is it the the fifth tallest building in the world? Yes. Is it still the fifth tallest building in the world? I believe it is. I believe. I, th I think back then it was the third or so. But you know, as as the Burj Khalifa went up and and another project went up, it's it went down. 
uh, I think there was uh, a little bit of competition, in, you know, kind of ego of the uh, company's owner who, have, who will have the tallest building. Uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing working on these projects. Um, the level of, of detail and the level of dedication of all the design team, including the clients, was, uh, was just amazing. It's, it was a very inspiring. Uh, you were uh, uh, under, ma- how, how, many, how many people did you have on your management? Uh, did you have to oversee? Well, uh, it was a team of a few studios. Uh, my studio was about five people. Was five people. We worked on a little bit on the tower, but also on the on the podium, what we call the podium of the tower. That was about um, uh, yeah. We were about five people just for the design and architecture, but it went up and down. Sometimes we were more, sometimes we were less. And when you mean that you were in charge of the podium, is that a section of the building that you were in charge of the design and putting together? Yeah. So I was uh, at the beginning. I was the project manager for the podium. It was separate uh, separate uh, project in a way but my company won the competition and while we were working on the tower itself we got the, uh, the podium itself which was i believe about three million square foot of of everything of a city wow. inside inside so it, it has retail uh high-end retail low-end retail a concert hall um, a aquarium <laughs> Whatever you wanted, it was there. Uh, so it was uh, a lot of uh, a lot of design work, a lot of coordination with engineers, now, clients, and, and with other team. Yeah, you you would do this remotely from from New York City, or you were on yeah. site in in no, Korea. We that's from New York City. We had the conference calls twice a week. That's uh, incredible. Plus, we started at nine p.m. We were exhausted, and and the clients in Korea were all fresh with a cup of coffee. So uh, uh, we did it twice and I had to travel there as well, uh, but mo- mainly remotely from New York City. Yeah, you know what, that, that's very interesting that you could, you could design and, and you could manage a project in the other side of the world uh, of this caliber. And uh, this, is, this is just an, a great example of how, how you could also invest out of state and not be intimidated by the fact that you can't take on a project or you can't do an investment because there is ways of communicating with your team on site effectively to execute plans. Because that, that's yeah, that that's a challenge. A lot of people are intimidated by that. Oh, I'm I'm going to buy that over there in this other state, but they get overwhelmed just thinking of the fact that how can I manage that from over here? And you did this effectively. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Bill. You know, uh, where there's a, a will, there's a way, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, where where the for example with with real estate investments, you you have a team over their boots on the ground and you can coordinate with them you need to show up to the calls you need to be on top of things you actually need to work harder because you work remotely and you need to go into the all the details and ask for information so if there's something both in architecture in a real estate investment that you're not sure of ask for photos ask for videos uh, you know as we progress technology is working for us and and we should utilize that and 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 you should have a team that you trust at the end of the day both architecture and real estate investment correct correct and now now in new york you're working in your backyard there in manhattan 52 unit luxury apartment that's your current project right now that's correct that's right so i've been working full-time as an architect uh, for 18 years um just doing architecture um i'll talk about later how I did some real estate investing on the side. But after 18 years, I, I was approached by one of my clients. He was an, a, a previous client of mine. And he asked me if I want to be uh, working as his uh, project manager as a developer. 
from the development side. So I took the challenge and I'm the uh, project manager for a 52 units new condominium tower in the Gramercy area in Manhattan. Yeah, we took Oh, that's a yeah, really nice <laughs> area. Uh, how far along are you in this project? Uh, we broke ground, we demolished uh, four, five buildings, five older buildings, we demolished them. And right now uh, we just start with foundation, but because of COVID and, and everything that happened in Manhattan, we are a little bit on hold, just that um, we can read the markets and see how it goes. Do we need to change the floor plans? Maybe a little bit, maybe, maybe make it a little bit smaller, maybe make it a little bit bigger. Depends on the, how the market in Manhattan, which went through serious uh, challenges and changes Correct. in the last year. So Yeah, we're still going through it. Yeah. 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 So, so in 2016, around that time, you decided I'm going to start doing my side real estate investing. And yeah. so you're, you're a full-time architect uh, and you decided, you know what, I, I, I like this. I like what I'm seeing. I want to start investing my own money in some of my real estate deals. Uh, what type of investments did you start getting into? So that that's actually a very, um, I like this story uh, a lot. I went, uh, I didn't know much about real estate investing. Didn't even think about that. I uh, went to lunch with my, my, my good friends uh, in the architecture firm. And she told me, um, we shared, you know, I listened to that podcast, that podcast. And she said, you have to listen to Bigger Pockets. I said, what is Bigger Pockets? <laughs> I said, oh, you know, it's just about real estate. It's funny. There's a guy named, you know, Brandon something. Yeah. So I started listening to that on my commute. And I, I, I was like, wow, that actually sounds very interesting. So after listening to that for like half a year, and, and I started really to study that. And I pulled the trigger. I bought my first uh, single family house uh, in New Jersey. Uh, where I live, and I got hooked. It was uh, it was something that really caught me. So that's how I started. I, I you, bought the first one. And, and you bought it. You bought it as a, an investment to rent or to flip. To rent. To rent. Okay. Do you still own that asset or? You... I, I actually sold it a couple of years ago. That was my first okay. house. Sold it for a while. Um, I, I I just decided to sell it for yeah. for. for different reason but i yeah. usually like to hold these properties yeah um, so did you are, are you still buying single families and not as much as i used to um because of my traffic over there because i i used to be very busy and a lot of wholesalers knew me i still getting deal flow some deals are great and and it's hard for me to refuse so i will i will buy once in a while but i shift my my attention more to more to family but yeah once in a while if it's a good deal it's a good deal and i'll buy it yeah yeah yeah, so that, that's an interesting topic because um, I, I come from a background of single family and uh, that's how I put my foot in, in, in this game, uh, buying a lot of single family homes and flipping them and renting them. And I could tell you um, I've done great with, with single family flips, but I'm not a big fan of the renting the single family flips. Um, I've tried that. Uh, it works. Um, but once I got the taste of renting um you know, multifamilies, uh, it just made so much more sense to me. Um, right. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's one of those things that you start discovering as you go. And from looking at, you know, how your career has uh, have evolved in investing, you started taking, uh, you started investing in multifamilies. Uh, your, your first multifamily deal was a 42 unit in Jefferson, Indiana. Yeah. And that's a big jump. You didn't even yep. start. You didn't even start with two duplexes or four plexes. You just jumped straight into a forty-two unit. How did that transition happen? Um, I just 
everyone has different experience. I had great experience with renting single family houses. Um, I just have the team over there. I, you know, if a tenant had a complaint, usually my wife helped me with the management of that. So I just text back my, my handyman. Hey, fix that. That was easy and it was very, very portable, but it was really hard for me to scale. Even I was, if I was very aggressive with my full-time job, let's say I bought one house every two months, which for me was, you know, pretty aggressive because I had a full-time job. It's only six houses a, a year, you know, <laughs> and for some people, was, they will think it's a yeah. lot, but if you want to grow and make it a business, it's, 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 it's hard. Yeah, it is. And uh, I started to listen to different um, uh, podcasts and educate myself what other, uh, you know, assets in real estate are there. And, and I was always attracted also because of my background, because I used to design multifamilies and I know them pretty well. I, I said, okay, let me jump into this asset, really dive into that. I, I went into a mentorship group, um, met amazing people, got, uh, got a lot of value in education, but I think most of the value came from the uh, networking, which, uh, which I, I, can't, I can't say how important that. This is so important to network. And that's uh, where um, I met uh, my partner, Mike, and he introduced me, he said, listen, you know, there's a property in, uh, in Jeffersonville, Indiana, that me and another buddy of his, uh, Gwaith, were looking at. And he asked me, hey, do you want to kind of look at it together and maybe we can do something? And I said, sure, I'm in. And uh, I was excited. Hey, from one single family house at a time to 42 units, it's a big jump. But uh, doing it together was less, less scary. Uh, and and we pulled the trigger and we called yeah. another another guy Chris and uh, we bought it, uh, you know the four of us bought it together. Yeah, you you know you you made that transition um, really fast. Uh, uh, for me, the transition was a lot slower than that. I I started buying duplexes and triplexes and fourplexes, and then I caught myself uh, being all over South Florida with a bunch of these. And yeah, they do they're profitable, but but I was running around like a madman. My maintenance guy was running around all over the city. So you 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 went straight into that forty two unit was a very smart decision, and uh, you did the smart decision into partnering up with other uh, other investors that were kind of the same level, or they or were they had they done deals like this before? Um, yeah, I think we were pretty much at the same level. Um, we were all new to multifamily. Uh, I think I think uh, Gwaith has a little bit more experience in multifamily. He had thirteen units, I believe in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. uh, I had more experience in terms of uh, single families, um, but overall we were at the same level and we were new to bigger multifamilies. Yeah. So um, it was a great fit. Yeah. yeah. But no. there's no, it is no one, one um, size fits all. You know, some people would like to join a more experienced person that he will guide them and he will show them and he will, they will learn together uh, what to do and what's not. And we decided maybe to go to um, 42 units, which is which is large, but it's not super large, and learn the process together. Correct. So, so we can do, we didn't want to, but there's a possibility we'll do mistakes, but it won't hurt that bad if we're doing it four of us and we educate ourselves and we know that it's part of the process. And yeah. well, well, it also helped out, uh, which is something that's very important. Sometimes your partners are... are could be a deal breaker too. I, I I could imagine that when you met your partners, you felt the, it was the right match. Uh, so it, it makes it a lot easier to say, okay, let's do this together. 
Um, right. Right. Let's let's go. I, I want to ask you a question before we dive into a deal that we we did together and how that deal happened. What what does financial freedom mean to you? Um, let me just go back a bit, if it's okay with you, to the partnership, because I think the key was we all agreed when we found this property and we decided to do this deal together that we're not going to be married to each other. We're just in the water. You know, if it's going to be a friendship that comes out of that, if it's going to be a, a partnership just for that deal, that's great. And we never planned about, oh, let's create a company. And I suggested to everyone, test the water. Don't, don't start, you know, making big plans of creating a big company and brand yourself because if it doesn't go well, your branding was kind of for nothing. You'll have to break this partnership. Test the water, make a JV, joint venture with, with a couple of guys or three guys that you feel, or one guy that you feel that maybe there's a chance here. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does work, scale it up and, and really create a, a company from that, a business. Uh, that, that's, that's really that, true. That, that's true because I've done the same thing. Uh, that is that is good advice that you give. Um, a lot of times we're very eager to go and open a company and start a marketing and website and all that. It's it's very smart. And I think experience teaches us that not to do things like that. Uh, oh, we've done it. I've done it. Hasn't gone well. Um, but I have also learned to work with a group, and they, you know what? Uh, I think that you know, I think this this works. Let's we need to do another one, and then another one, and then it leads from there. Yeah, correct. There you go. Sometimes yeah. it goes naturally and, and then you can really build your brand because it's a shame if you're building a brand and the partnership breaks and then it's the brand is kind of, uh, you know, way to waste. Yeah, they start all over again, rebranding all yeah. over again. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's what that's. Financial freedom, that's uh, why we're all doing that in a way. Uh, we, we love real estate, but we love what real estate brings. And one of the biggest perks that real estate can bring, um, it's financial freedom. Now, uh, for me, financial freedom comes in layers and stages. Okay, for someone who was doubly two, who had to go to work in the morning, go back, you know, leave work, you know, at a certain time, sometime working as architect, it's very, very long hours. Uh, I missed my family. I didn't see my, my kids growing as much as I wanted. So the fact that I could afford to leave my W2 and do what I love and, and have uh, be my own boss, my own my own schedule. That was me for me the first stage in financial freedom. Uh, I wasn't financial free. I couldn't say you know I'm taking like three months off, but I could take my daughter to to ski one day if I wanted to. Yeah. You know I could help my wife with something if she asked me to without reporting to my boss, and and I also could take vacation if I wanted to without without going to HR and asking if it's okay and if if the client agrees and all of that. So yeah. for me, that, that's also financial freedom. Correct. You're not free, but at least you can make the decision for yourself Correct. and for your life and have, and have more, a better, kind of more tailored life to your needs. So that's the first stage in financial freedom for me. Second stage, it's really, uh, uh, you know, doing what you love, but doing at your own terms. If you need to to go away for two or three months for whatever reason, and you can and 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 you'll still have passive income and the and the properties in that case it can be other assets work you know will work for you. That that's huge. That's financial freedom. Yeah. You know, I, as I said, I'm from Israel. I have my family back then, back over there. Um, you know, if there'll be a time where you know my parents will need me and I'll have to go for for a couple of months and and to yeah. make sure everything is okay and I won't be worried about where the money is coming from 
uh, that that's we financial freedom. Yeah, it, it seems that as you explained this financial freedom to me, uh, you had a smile the whole time you were saying it. So you you kind of envisioned these things. Yeah, and uh, I share that with you. And, and yeah, uh, it's it's doing things that you know so financial freedom changes in different phases of your life. Well, was financial freedom to the Abiel in his twenties? It's not the same financial freedom that I have now. So it does change in phases, but the liberty for you to create your own schedule, that's awesome, man. That, that, that to me is, is, is freedom, um, you know, and to have the partners yeah. it, that help you out with the process, because I agree with you that W2 and, you know, you have to, you, you have to punch, put in a, uh, in advance, oh, I need this time off, oh, I need this, you know, these days, and then you don't know if you're going to get it. Uh, it doesn't, we, we don't, I can't, I, I can't live like that. You know, uh, so uh, I agree with you that that freedom of creating your own schedule, that's big for me, too. Very that's huge. That's huge. You know, you know, ABL, it's, uh, I, I can tell you many stories where I wanted to go to visit my family and there was a deadline. We had to set, you know, submit sets of, of uh, drawings for construction. And my boss told me, no, you can't. And, and it was something that I had to go. There was a wedding or something back home in Israel and I just couldn't go. And it broke my heart. And I can understand my boss, you know, <laughs> yeah, or any business, yeah, yeah. but and and that's that's used to do whatever I, what you like at your own schedule. It's it's huge, and you know what? I work as hard, if not harder, now than yeah, what yeah, I used to. But yeah. I do it because it's my business, and because I love what I do. Yeah, so I yeah. want to wake up early in the morning and just do it, not because someone is waiting with yeah. with a clock that you have to punch yeah. it. Yeah, you know, the last time I heard a no from a boss was when I was 25 years old. I mean, you said that, and I just remembered when they told me no, I can't go somewhere. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I could definitely relate to that. No, you can't do something. And that that right there just, you know, you shift and you go, hold on. Uh, I need to start making adjustments yeah. on my life. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's huge. That's uh, let's dive into this deal um, where I met, where we met. And... Um, it was a very interesting uh, way this deal evolved because it, it came out of a, a mutual friend that we have that does our commercial loans. Those are our multifamily loans, David, uh, David Fraz. Uh, uh, David Fraz introduced me to you and Gwaith and Mike. And I think we had a, he says, oh, I got a group of guys that do loans with me. I, I think you guys would be in a great marriage. And he was all excited to, to introduce us. You know, I don't do this for everyone, but I think you guys will link up. Well, we did a, um, we did a Zoom video, uh, a meeting. In the, it was like the beginning of the pandemic, right? Yeah, it was. When it, was ha- it was. It was starting to happen. Yeah, uh, but it wasn't that scary yet. It, it wasn't that scary here yet in the United States. Right. Right. And um, that meeting uh, went good. We had a, a very natural conversation between the guys, and then about I think it was like a month later, uh, the Columbus deal lands in our lap, uh, 194 units in Ohio. Um, I, I underwrite the deal. I like the numbers. Um, it never done a deal in Ohio, but the numbers made so much sense. And uh, I reach out to Gwaith. I go, Gwaith, uh, you know, let me know if your your group is interested in something like that. And you guys just jumped on it immediately. And um, uh, what what was it about that deal that that attracted your group? Uh, so so. Um I'm glad you you mentioned Dave, uh, David and um, and and Gwaith and everything, and it just show again how important to network. Okay, it's all it's all you never know when it's gonna show up, when this connection gonna gonna when thing gonna fall into place, 
and and even if you don't see results right now don't think that the person you you saw in a network would just had a phone call you know it's 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 it means nothing it means a lot because i don't think we would have you know meet yeah. or do this deal if, if it wasn't for my network with mike that led to wave that led to the, you know dave the lender and matthew so it's all kind of connecting uh, what we loved about what I loved about this deal is is the scale and 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 just partnering with you guys. You know, for us, forty two units, as you said, was was big, right? I, I went from single family houses to forty two units in in Indiana. I was like pinching myself in in, in you know, to make sure like I, I'm 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 there and it's it's real. But you can imagine then to jump to one hundred ninety four units, that that's huge. Yeah, that's a big uh, jump. And and that was. Um, was something that we have to do that and 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 to do it with someone as experienced as you that will um just give us some more assurance and 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 give us a little more confidence that we can do that and we shouldn't be scared and uh the opportunity knocks on our door and we just grabbed it and yeah. uh we trust dave and and then we knew that you know he liked us and he couldn't he couldn't say enough about your team as well and he said it's going to be a good match. It's going to be great, and uh, we were super excited for these opportunities. This the, yeah. the property, the scale, and just partnering with another solid uh, investment company, and that that what uh, really attracted us. Yeah, yeah. No, that that deal was was tough because uh, we we were under contract for three hundred and something units with that same group, and ended up only taking on one ninety four. They kept the rest of their properties, and. Um, it was a very challenging deal because there was multiple times that we almost lost that deal on, on the contract. And uh, I've done some stressful deals. That one was pretty high level stress, but we were so persistent on that deal. And everybody was so confident that we were going to do this deal as a group. There wasn't any negativity. Everyone was just determined. And I think as a team, that energy just transfers into the deal. I've been on the other side of, of a, as a seller. And when a buyer is shaky or not confident or without them even knowing it, it, it they communicated in the deal. They communicated in some of their verbiage in their emails. The, the, it, it comes out in some of the commun communications on a conversation on the phone. But that was not the deal here. Everybody, we were just gun -holed. We We're like, we knew we wanted this deal. We were going to make this happen. Um, at the last minute, we weren't able to do the bridge. And we ended up closing in cash, which, which is something that we have now the ability to do, uh, which not too many uh, syndicators are doing. So our group was able to execute this close of cash. And then we, um, we went on the raise. And um, uh, there's something that, that you brought to this team as an architect. And it's my, you're my first partner with the architect background that you have. So uh, as soon as I saw that you had that that education, I'm like, man, how can I, how can I pick Doran's brain? I mean, I, I could get some nuggets from him for free instead of have to paint an architect. And I, and I, and I know that um, me and you went back and forth, but we shared what we wanted to do in the amenities in, uh, right, in in Forest Creek, which right. is not Forest Creek anymore. It's now it's Newbridge, mm -hmm. and there's something that I'm very um, passionate about in when creating an environment in multifamilies, which I see, I see all the time that they don't have. Um, I see multifamilies where investors are just trying to do the minimum to squeeze the most out of their properties. And um, sometimes that I feel like there's a disconnect of what, what 
it is to live in an apartment building. Or some investors just maybe never lived in an apartment building or in a low-income apartment building. They they forget what it is to be a renter sometimes because they just they're they're doing so well or or they just never had that experience. And I know that me and you went back and forth in creating an environment in this project where we could put, you know, uh, an outdoor fitness area, a picnic area, a, a real playground that is safe for children. And an area where people could lay down, sit down, barbecue. That for us was something that we were back and forth, but we knew we wanted to put that for this community because uh, there's a lot of families in this community. And you came up with a design that I love. Uh, and that's something that you brought a lot of value to this group. And uh, I'm, I can't wait for winter to pass so we can execute it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Abel, I, I remember so well that both of us, we were really putting ourselves in, in, in uh, as we were living there. I remember that we even walked there and, and, and we said, oh, you know, that would be great to have a, a, a nice playground and a nice barbecue area. And, one, and once, you know, while, while the kids are playing the play, playground, the, the parents can sit in a picnic area just, just near the creek. There's a beautiful creek there. And we got some pushback. We got some pushback yeah, from yeah, people yeah, who yeah, know yeah. that's a good liability. You know, we don't like playground. And, and we kept on saying, and you said, you know, guys, you know, they are human beings. They, they will enjoy that. We, we, we yeah. want the tenants to, yeah. to, to enjoy where they live and, to, and, and it'd be fine. And, and we did that. And yeah. I, I came with the design. We went back and forth. And I, 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 had, a, I had a blast. I have, you yeah, know, it's, blast. It, 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 that, that's part of enjoying, enjoying the process. Uh, yeah. To me, that part's fun. I mean, yeah, it's fun to, to you know, turn around and, and update a unit, put new floors in the kitchen. But the, that amenity... I kind of enjoyed the amenity design more than, than the other part. So yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's something that we are personally also incorporating in another project that we have in Atlanta. And I was uh, very uh, happy to put that together. And that's something that we want to do in all our projects. If, if, if we have the space and the, and the land for it, I, I, I want to design an environment where families and kids could go and hang out. I was that kid. I was the kid that was in the playing ground hanging out. Yeah. Uh, so it, having you on the team, uh, it's that, that vision and, and you being to put that together. It's, it's a great attribute. Awesome. Um, but also, you know, also the listing office, we, we, you know, we, we designed it nice. I mean, we took, we took, really a, space, nice. we took yeah. a space that wasn't very appealing, wasn't very nice. And I think with a little bit of design, a little bit of effort, uh, you, you know, we made some 3d models, stuff like that, just to yeah. show our intent. And, and I think it turned out to be beautiful. So that's yeah. another value that we can, as, as designer, as an architect and with your vision, it came together to to deliver a beautiful product. Yeah, we're um, we're gonna put a link in the bottom of this podcast so people can see that finished product of the design yeah. of the leasing office. Because that's another thing that uh, gets taken for granted. Leasing office is the first presence a tenant has when they walk into a property. If your leasing office looks like crap, what do they expect the property is gonna look like? It's so that first walk in is wow. Okay, this is a cool place. And it's yeah. not just for it's not just for the tenants to walk in. You also want an environment where your managers, and your leasing agent, and your employees feel happy that they could go there every day. It's, it, it, it has to be a a space that they want to be in. Uh, be welcoming and, and, that, and reflect reflect your your vision of this of the property. So we used the same color on the walls. We used the same flooring. 
but it was very clean, very nice, and it it's almost really reflects our, our vision to the property. Correct. So you're right. This Correct. is the uh, the face of the property. Correct. Someone told me there's no second chance for first impression. And so that that uh, that's uh, actually uh, reflecting that in the listing office as well. Let, let's go a little bit into the design of, of units because this is also something really important that I know you studied this in school, but most most investors and I including myself, it took me a while to understand that of how important color palettes, materials, uh, the design feel is in an apartment. Some people take that for granted. They just throw, oh no, just throw a neutral color. Oh no, just throw a flooring. There's a lot of factors that are not being considered in multifamilies. I see it in the industry all the time where they're just doing things where they're not seeing the longer picture. They're, they're not seeing the, the type of materials that they're putting. Does that material have the longevity to go 10 years? Does Do those color, color designs on the kitchen cabinets, the colors that are being used in the project exterior, is that something that's going to be outdated in two or three years? Uh, and that's something you got to update yourself as a syndicator yep. Yep. Uh, and get advice from a professional. If you're not good at it, get an advice from a professional. What advice do you give investors that are designing their multifamilies, that are designing their clubhouse, that, that they should get a professional advice on designing the feel, the colors, the theme, and materials that last long? So, so that's a great point, Abel. And uh, if you can hire a designer, if you feel that you have a design sense and you know enough about products, you can do it yourself. Uh, what you said about the, the quality of the materials, you don't want to use flooring that will be beautiful, but will only last for a, a year or two just because it's not waterproof, it's not, it's not durable enough, it's not what we call tenant proof. So you need to take everything into consideration and make sure that the product uh, fits the assets that you're investing in. If it's a just for you know, if it's a flip, you know, we're going back to that. You know, you don't need to care about it so much because you, you know that a home buyer will be, you will buy it, he will take care of that, uh, and and you can put uh, high-end materials, not necessarily take care so much about how they will last. But for multifamily, uh, you know. B plus to to uh, to C make asset classes. I would recommend durable has a, you know can withstand water and can withstand you know some some sort of uh, not in addition but vandalism which mean like dragging chairs like that. What I do and what we I did for our project is uh, I'm creating a, a a color palette, a material palette. It's something that we use as mainly interior designers do that all the time. But we as a, in architecture do it also for exterior. But interior design do it all the time. They're just creating a format and putting uh, either the, the real samples or if they don't have that, uh, the pictures of the product and see how the color schemes work together. You don't want to put uh, a bright green walls with with uh, uh, red um, doors. You know, I'm just extreme here, but it doesn't go together. You will see that they they almost like, you know, it's 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 kind of an eyesore. But if if you have a scheme that you, you believe in and you like and you think will work, put them next to each other. If it's the flooring, if it's the countertops, if the appliances, if, the, the, if it's the walls and if it's the trims, all of those need to work together. Yes, there's gonna be hierarchy, okay? Uh, and the walls are very, very, uh, taking the most surface, so they, they need to be more substantial, but all the rest need to play with that. And you can have whatever design you want. It can be more of a, of a contemporary, very, very minimal, or it can be more rustic, uh, uh, more rough, 
but as long as you're going with that and you know that most people will like it, okay? Yeah. I have a very specific taste. I have I love neon green, for example. You know, I'm not, I don't, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, I know that it may, may be good for me, but for the vast majority of the tenants, it may be not be appealing. So right. try to choose a, a, a color palette that will kind of relate to the mo to most people that if someone will come and say, you know, I, I can I can really see myself living in this uh, space. Right, correct, correct. Be more neutral. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, there's certain materials that I would never use, uh, you know, when it comes to flooring, uh, vinyl plank right now is our favorite. Um, uh, we, we chose a, a four millimeter and higher vinyl plank for our project. Um, this, with a padding, this material is durable. I am pretty confident in 10 years, this material will still be solid and, yep. and, and will be functional. Yep. Um, I also like our kitchen cabinet colors. Uh, I think that, um, I mean, if the kitchen cabinet colors is something that, that is a preference, but you also got to study your neighborhood you got to study your city. Uh, certain cultures in certain cities have certain designs that are more themed to them. So I always suggest investors, look at your, look at your competition, study your competition. What do their units look like? What are they, um, what are they renting for and how can you step into that market and compete and take those tenants from them? So you got to really analyze the quality and the finishes that your competition has. And we did yep. that. And I know that our product is superior to our comparables and that gives me the confidence and it gives the leasing agents confidence. And when they put that yep. property in the market, they're confident tenants are going to walk in as wow. And um, yep. I'm very happy to say that um, I know that we saw the rents come in on, on that Ohio, on Forest Creek, uh, well, Newbridge now, and we hit our pro forma, man. We hit the numbers that we talked about and we hit them. And in fact, on our three bedrooms, we went above what we thought we were going to hit. Yep. And I know it was the finishes that we put. We and you know, Abel, uh, regarding what you just nailed it, you absolutely nailed it. Do you do, look what your competition is providing? But you know, we went with gray cabinets that yeah. not yeah. many, not many rentals have. Maybe they will, but it's more trendy now. And I know it will stay. I know it will be there for a while. It's not a color that will uh, go away. There's many other colors that are very trendy now in kitchen. A lot of uh, teal colors are very trendy. But I know it in, in two years you will. You won't see them in the market so much. But gray is something that that is relatively new, and it's something that people are 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 excited to see and can really see themselves living in this space. Right. And when they see the competition, like you mentioned, maybe they see only black, uh, you know, like espresso cabinets espresso. Or, or or something that was there for a while. But gray, mm -hmm. it's something new, something that 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 you know, a little bit more design thought. Uh, about it so uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. you said it yeah. we, we, yeah, we, we got uh, great response on the on the uh, on the apartments i'll touch a quick uh just a quick education to investors who are new in the game also and i'll touch it and this will be on specifically on kitchen cabinets and this is something that me myself i've made mistakes on in the past when putting kitchen cabinets you got to make sure that you're using real quality wood because you will have tenants that are going to they're they're going to bang them up. They're going to scratch them. You need to be able to repaint those kitchen cabinets again. So there's a lot of materials out there that are cheap material that once they bang them up, they scratch them. You got to replace a whole kitchen or a whole kitchen door. So we made sure that we use quality wood 
in two years, if we need to spray and paint those kitchen cabinets again, they're going to look brand new again. It's going to save you tons of money. So that's something I wanted to add in there. Um, Doran, I'm going to go into some tough questions right now. So tell me, um, what is the most difficult deal or problem you've had that you've had to fix? And uh, how did you fix it? Um, uh, I'll just I'll try to remain in the uh, uh, in the um, multifamily uh, area. Okay, um, I th I think just going to the Columbus deal it wasn't difficult, but it was uh, for us it was like a big leap. Okay, it, it, it wasn't uh, something that we didn't think we can do, but you, sometimes you need to, to decide to be, to be confident and, and to, to, to just do it. So uh, it, 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 it's, it's not really like uh, uh, that was so difficult and we were, and I was uh, not you know, losing sleep over that, but it was, it was challenging. It was challenging in the scale. It was challenging. How are we going to raise the money? For me, maybe that was the scariest part because that was my first syndication. And although I, I networked and, and I, I contacted uh, potential limited partners, which uh, which I just told them what I do and everything, uh, but then to pull the trigger and send them the email or making the phone call and knowing that you need to hit the target, that was that was scary. That was yeah. scary. And, and yeah, yeah. Uh, but we we just did that. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you guys definitely did raise it. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I I saw that whole process, and yeah, raising raising money sometimes could be difficult. Yeah. Uh, but when you have a good deal, it it, it 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 just you express your yourself more confident. When you're confident about a deal, you know, you, it just you you just the way you communicate to the investors just comes out. And uh, and you guys did a good job. You guys did the raise, and we completed the deal. But um, there's always there's always this this thought about uh, you know this discomfort of you know hey he's my he's one of my best friends when I'm going to ask for money from him now yeah, what yeah, if yeah, I lose yeah. it when if he will be upset on me <laughs> the, I, I'm sure every syndicator has this this thought especially in the first deal yeah, yeah. and although you know you're gonna in a way do him a favor he's gonna make money out of your deal and he's gonna be happy but there's always this fear of what if it's not gonna work well and yeah. he's not gonna to talk to me anymore and what if next Thanksgiving gonna be a very lonely dinner <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that that's yeah I, I get that uh, I've gone through that I had to change the shift in my mind when I because um, all my friends and family invest with me uh, I had to change that shift in my mind early in my career when I was raising money to to, to, to think I'm not asking them for a loan I, you know, I had to tell, I'm not asking for a loan. I'm, uh, I'm, I got to shift and think that I'm going to make them a lot of money. Like this is a benefit for them. So I had to change my mindset in the beginning when I was asking for it. So, so I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I'm going to ask you another tough question. And um, so what is one of your biggest failures and what did you learn from it? And I could tell you my biggest failures. I've had many of them in investing. Um, and they're my biggest lessons. I call it the most expensive university that you could go to. One of my biggest failures was I, I will over over leverage myself um, buying tons of single family flips and um, very stressful times. So that's been one of my biggest failures. What can you add and share to a listener so they can learn from that? Maybe we can help them out and not make it. Oh, I have, I have so many, so many, uh, so many <laughs> failures I can share, but I'll, I'll choose one. I think the biggest one uh, was uh, in the beginning of my uh, multifamily uh, venture. I uh, was introduced by someone that I trusted uh, to a, a general partner, a, a syndicator. Uh, 
and and I was brand new. I was new, and he said, "Listen, if you if you and two other two other you know buddies from the same mentorship group will put the earnest money deposit, the risk money in the deal, yeah. you guys will have a percentage of the GP." And this was this whole story that that then if you go on an agency loan and you have on your record that you had a, 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 a you were syndicator a syndicator you were a sponsor it would be easier for you to do uh, repeated deals so we were super excited it was a, a student housing in Georgia in Valdosta University and we were so excited we didn't do our due diligence on the guy uh, we thought he's very experienced uh, we put the risk money I personally put tens of thousands of dollars. And the guy didn't put anything. He didn't have any skin in the game. Um, so after a year and a half of not being able to raise the money and asking for extensions, and, and we realized that we, pretty, pretty quickly we realized that we did something wrong, trusting this guy, we lost the money. The deal is gone. It was gone for a while. And we lost the earnest money deposit. And that that was a big kick uh, in the in the pants, and it hurts. But we what 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 mistake did you make that that you would think that you could have done so that way that would not happen to you again? Do your due diligence on the person, even even if the Pope recommends you with someone, <laughs> you know, do your due diligence. Google the guy, ask him how many deals you did before. We really trusted the guy that introduced him, us to him. But we and we didn't ask, did you do any deal before? Apparently, the guy never did any syndication before. That was his first syndication, uh. ending like 200 plus doors. Uh, and also, make sure that the sponsor has skin in the game. I'm sure that he will do everything he can to close in the deal if he had a lot of money to lose, like we did, but he didn't put a dime in the deal. So make sure the sponsor puts something in the in the deal. He has a skin in the game. That that is a great lesson. I I've definitely been around uh, some deposits, uh, failures like that. I I, I understand and that hurts uh, because uh, it's you know every every dollar counts when you're trying to grow your capital. To lose a deposit like that, it, it hurts. So that that's really good. That that's actually one of the best advices I've heard that was giving of a, of a big fa biggest failures. Uh, a lot of investors don't like to share this information. Um, and I think that if I'm investing with someone in, in, in real estate and I ask them that question and they tell me, well, you know what, I've only, and they gave me something very, not a big failure. I'll be scared to invest with you because I actually want someone that's failed. Cause I know that those failures, you're not going to make them with me. Uh, so it's, you know, that's what comes with the experience. Uh, they could prevent these things from happening. So uh, I'm glad you shared that with us. That's not so Abel, with our deal in Columbus. Uh, we, we put money as LPs. We, we intentionally, and that was a business plan. We won't ask people to put money in the deal if we don't put money in the deal. And I think that's very important. Uh, yeah. Yes, some syndication, syndicators don't do that. And that's okay if they're very experienced, if they have amazing track record. But I would suggest try to invest with someone that has skin in the game and yeah. he has a lot to lose if he doesn't perform yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a syndicator, I'll speak for myself. Um, one of the reasons uh, that we need to have some liquidity is for deposits. 
Yeah. Uh, so th- there's many times that we secure a deal and we have verbal commitments from our investors. I got 150 here. I got 500 here. I got 200 here. So you have all these verbal commitments, but the syndicator has to go and secure this deal with his deposit yeah. and then start attracting the capital to the deal. So it's very important for syndicators to be have some liquidity or, or a partner is going to be liquidity to lock down a deal. So I agree with you. You need to see that. If a syndicator doesn't have a liquidity or a partner in a deal to put a deposit, I agree. Red flag. Right. Absolutely. Why? Why don't you not have a partner that could put a 50000 or $100,000 deposit? So, yeah, I agree with that. That's a good point that you just made. Doron, this this was a great conversation, man. Um, can you just share with the listeners how they can reach out to you and and uh, get in contact with you? Any questions, any deals, future deals that you have, and how they can invest with you, or even uh, an art or or as a referrals architecture. I, I know that you're you're gonna help out one of my buddies uh, open up a shop there. Hopefully, uh, you guys could work together as an architect in in New York City. Uh, give right. uh, give the listeners how they can reach out to you. So I can uh, I can be reached at at uh, any social media, Facebook. Instagram, uh, uh, LinkedIn, uh, just look for Doron Rice. I'm, I'm, I should be there. Um, would love to connect with anybody. Uh, would love to partner with, with anybody. Uh, and uh, and partnership is, is the key. It's a team sport, multifamily team sport. So if anyone have any question, uh, definitely reach out to me. If I can answer, that'd be great. If not, I will uh, refer you to ABL. He can definitely answer the question yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh awesome. i mean it was it was amazing thank you man thank you for your time i really appreciate it. it all right bye-bye See you later bye thank you for listening to the real estate live podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode if you'd like to reach out to me please go to my website www.abliesteros.com